invite you to turn with me uh, one last time for now uh, to the book of Job, uh, Job chapter 42. We'll be reading verses 7 through 17 uh, this evening. Uh, last time uh, we had heard after a long silence uh, from Job himself after the Lord had uh, revealed uh, his marvelous power and uh, glory to him, and uh, Job confesses he said things and tried to understand things too wonderful for him, and he repents uh, in dust and ashes before the glory uh, of the Lord. And it seems at that point, seems at the uh, end of verse 6, that uh, certainly Job, even through his suffering and in his suffering, has found peace with the Lord, even in his his suffering. And so we pick up the story at Job 42, verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take seven bulls and seven rams. That's a, that's a large offering, expensive. And go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you've not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. They came to him, all his brothers and sisters, and all who had known him before, and ate bread with him in his house. They showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima. And the name of the second, Kizia. And the name of the third, Karin Hapu. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his son's sons, four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this journey that we've been on through the book of Job. We thank you, Lord, as we come to this last uh, portion that you have for us. We pray, dear God, that you would help us to see uh, glorious things in your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, Sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. 
And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. That's C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Endings are important. So are last words. Whether it's the ending of the Old Testament, which you know ends in Malachi with a a prophecy that there's a day coming when Elijah will come and prepare the hearts of the fathers and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. A day is coming. That's how the book of Malachi ends the Old Testament. Or whether it is the end of the New Testament in Revelation 22, uh, where we find uh, this longing for the return of Jesus Christ. Come quickly. Uh, The Bible calls us to cast our eyes forward when wrong will be right and we will have spring again. As does the prayer which the Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or as the Apostle Peter wrote, but according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens. This is what we're waiting for. A new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that seems not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Or as Paul said elsewhere, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The Bible says there are transient things. There are things that come and go, and there are eternal things things. For the unbeliever, there is glory, which is momentary. Afflictions, which last forever. For the believer, there are afflictions, which are momentary, but there is glory that lasts forever. And so we come to the end of the book of Job. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And then they are instructed to take this offering, a burnt offering. And they're instructed to go to Job. My servant Job shall pray for you. I'll accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. So first of all, the good news of Job. Uh, There is forgiveness. There is forgiveness, the good news of Job. Now, here's a fine how do you do at the end of the book of Job. Throughout the many chapters of dialogue between Job and the three men named here, remember, chapters 3 through 31, we get three long cycles of counseling sessions between Job and his three friends, back and forth, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. And it was always Job, right, who seemed to be on the defensive, and Job, who was presumed to be in the wrong by his friends. Job was assumed, you'll remember, to not be seeking God, to be hiding some kind of secret sin, to be denying his guilt, 
to be unwilling to recognize he deserved to suffer, that he brought on his suffering, that he was wicked and abominable, and he needed to repent of his wickedness, which brought this suffering upon him. That was the whole storyline from the friends for many, many chapters. And along the way, uh, a life has Bildad and Zophar, believers in God, remember, like you and I, professing to be followers of God, like you and I, wishing to maintain the glory and honor and justice and ways of God, like you and I, wanting to impart wisdom and help to their believing friend, just like you and I, wanting to speak the truth, defend the truth, no matter how Job might take it. Somewhere along the way, these three believers had become blinded by their own sin. And rather than helping Job by pointing Job to find rest and hope in God through trusting in the Lord despite the suffering, rather than recognizing with Job God is great and glorious and incomprehensible, his ways are past finding out, rather than humbly admitting their own ignorance and inability to grasp all things and adoring God for his ways, these men believed they knew all there was to know about God. They were theologians. You remember they knew their Bible. These were the kind of men you would never want to play Trivial Pursuit Bible version with. You know those kind of people? These were the kind of men. They believed in absolute truth. They, they used it to pummel Job. There was no mystery for these men about God and his ways. It was simple. Live a good life. You will be blessed throughout your earthly life. If you suffer in this life, you must have sinned against God. Despite the fact we know the psalmist tells us that the wicked and the righteous often suffer. Despite the fact that Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes speaks about life under the sun and how the consequences of living in a fallen world come both upon the righteous and the wicked. The sun shines, the Bible says, and the rain falls on both the righteous and the wicked. Hurricanes come. Floods take away your home. There's supermarket shootings. Unbelievers and believers die. Both the righteous and the wicked suffer. It wasn't that everything these men said about God was wrong. You remember some of the, in fact, some of the verses you quote about God come from the lips of Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. Maybe you didn't know that until you worked through the book of Job. They knew truth about God, and then they concluded they knew exactly what God was doing in Job's life when all along, we find out at the end of the book of Job, all along, they were off the mark badly. It's possible to be confident and assured that you are absolutely right, but be absolutely wrong. It's possible to be so convinced of your own righteousness that your pride and arrogance has blinded you, made you deaf and insensitive to the Lord himself. Self-assured, self-righteous, seeing specks in the eyes of others, but can't see the plank in our own eye. That sound familiar? I think Jesus had something to say about that. As Bob Coughlin wrote in the hymn, O Great God, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice. That's true. Some people are all mouth and no ears. <laughs> all mouth, no ears for the voice of God. But now the Lord speaks, and twice he says, You have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And the Lord's anger, the Bible says, burned against them. It's a serious matter in the book of Job 
to misrepresent the Lord with our words. Think about social media. Think about a text. Think about a meme. Think about email. Think about posts that you place on the internet. Think about your own words. It's a serious matter to not speak of the Lord what is right. Um, I used to really enjoy posts from the, uh, from the Babylon Bee. You may have heard of them. Uh, satirical, uh, professing Christian uh, organization. Until they had an interview with uh, Elon Musk and misrepresented the Lord. And when Elon Musk spoke of his, that he wasn't sure about Jesus, wasn't sure about what he was, and, and these representatives from the Babylon Bee just kind of laughed it off. Well, that's no big deal. Uh, our words. How are we speaking of the Lord? Obviously, it's a serious matter here at the end of the book of Job. He commands them to offer a burnt offering and to seek out Job so that Job can intercede for them uh, with the Lord. Now, a burnt offering is one of those offerings that in the Old Testament where you would place your hands on the animal, and then that animal would be offered up on the altar, and it would be completely consumed. A burnt offering for sin. And, uh, and this is expensive, as I mentioned. These animals are not cheap. And so this is a, uh, perhaps a reflection of who these men were, right? that they, they needed to bring an expensive offering. And here Job, friends, is called upon to act as a mediator, as a priest, uh, to offer prayer to God on behalf of his friends. And the Bible says the Lord accepted Job's prayer. And God does not deal with these three men according as their sins deserve, according to their, their folly. Uh, the Bible says there is forgiveness to them, for them. Uh, but notice what's happening here. Job, the one who's been ridiculed, accused, and slandered, and attacked. Job, the one who is still, at this point, suffering, still diseased, still without children, still without resources, still enduring by faith himself, is called upon to pray for the very ones who've treated him so poorly. Go to Job. He will pray for you. <laughs> uh, this perhaps would make more sense coming after the Lord has restored to Job his abundant blessing, but it doesn't. It comes before. While he's still suffering, he's called to intercede for his friends. Now, how can he do so? How could you pray for those who've been accusing you for 28 chapters of being wicked? <laughs> And, and, and saying, you know, your children died because they deserved it. Well, how can he do that? Well, we know how he can because we know that Job has just acknowledged that he had spoken what he, when he should have been silent. God is greater. God's more incomprehensible. He's more glorious. He's too wonderful to, for Job to understand. He's, he's repented in dust and ashes. He himself uh, has already been humbled before God by his own sin. And should he refuse to intercede on behalf of fellow sinners? When he has himself been humbled before the holy God, now he prays for them. You can pray. You can pray for your enemies, the Bible says, because you were an enemy of God. You can pray for those who have sinned against you. Why? Because you have sinned against God. You can do that. And he does pray, and God doesn't punish them as they deserve. This is, this is grace. This is grace for Job's friends at the end of Job. Grace for us when we stumble and fumble uh, and uh, fail one another with foolish counsel and prideful comments. Grace for us. There's forgiveness. 
There's grace for Job here to not hold a grudge against his friends and to not return anger for anger or evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good. Job, you pray for these men. And so Job here, friends, in many ways, points us to Stephen, who when he had been stoned to the point of death for being faithful to Christ, for enduring, prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And in fact, uh, one of the men there certainly was not dealt with as he deserved, but instead received a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and was called to be the great Apostle Paul, even as Stephen prayed. And Job points us here really to the Savior. Job acts as a mediator. Jesus himself upon the cross as he was being crucified prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then right there in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the risen Christ, and the Bible says 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. The Lord was not dealing with those Jews in Jerusalem according to their folly or according to their sins. Friends, this is good news in Job. There is forgiveness. Have you ever not spoken right of God? Ask it this way, have, you ever, have I ever misrepresented him? Oh boy. <laughs> have I ever misrepresented the Lord in my words or in my profession of faith or in my life? Has anyone had any occasion to look at my life or to hear a word I've spoken and said, I'm not sure that's the Lord? Oh yeah. Have I ever not given him the glory and the honor, and the praise, and the adoration, and respect, and faith, and trust, and obedience, and the worship that he deserved. Have you ever, you know, sought to serve others, and bless others, minister to others, love others the best you can, end up making things worse, (laughs) and saying the wrong thing, and leading others astray, and falling far short of the glory of God? Well, the Bible says, yes, you have. All have sinned, and fallen short, and praise God, there's one who prays. There's one who mediates. There's one whose prayer is wholly acceptable to God because it's the prayer and the mediation of his blameless, spotless, righteous son. Not Job, but Jesus, who's died in our place once for all for the complete forgiveness of all our sin. There's one who prays. And Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar are forgiven. There's forgiveness. This is the good news of Job. Good news of Job, there is, uh, there is restoration. This is in verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. Not before. First he prays. And then the Lord restores the fortunes of Job. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him Each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. We've seen that one of the great stresses, of course, in the suffering of Job was the thought in Job's mind that the Lord himself was against him. Remember that? Now, his friends were against him. His wife had counseled him to forsake the Lord. Satan was against him. His health had failed him. The Lord, he concluded, must not be for him. And this was his struggle of faith which he endured, which he endured. He did not reject God. In other words, Satan is a loser, right? Beginning of Job, uh, Satan 
said, you and I and Job only serve God. You will only follow God if you are able to enjoy all the gifts and the goodies that he gives you. But as soon as God takes away those things out of your life, that Job and you and I will drop them. Job did not do that. Believers do not do that. They cling to the Lord because the Lord clings to them. Satan is wrong. God's righteous ones serve him, love him, not for the gifts and toys. They serve him because he is God and he is glorious and he is worthy of all our praise. And you can take away all the gifts and the believer clings to the giver. That's what Job did. He clung in faith to God. And he's commended in the New Testament, as you know, for his perseverance, his endurance, in spite of the reality and intensity and ongoing suffering he was experiencing. But along the way, (laughs) along the way, he longed for vindication. That is, he longed for the world to know that, that, that he belonged to God. He was not wicked. He was God's Son, he was God's servant. He didn't hate God, he loved God, and he he longed for all to know. One who would speak on his behalf. Remember that? Job 9.33, Job said, Is there no arbiter between God and me? Is there no one who will speak? Job 16.19, he said, My witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high. And then, of course, Job 19, you'll remember Job said, For I know that my Redeemer lives. At the last, he'll stand upon the earth. And after my skins have been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. But he cried out in chapter 31. He said this, Is not calamity for the unrighteous, disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he, does God not see my ways and number all my steps? Doesn't God see what I'm going through? If I've walked with falsehood and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance and let God know my integrity. God, are you there? God, do you care? Was the cry of Job's heart. And the end of the book of Job, the answer is yes. God sees your ways. God numbers your steps. He does see and he does know and you are his. Did you notice that in verses 7 and 8, when the Lord speaks again, no less than four times, the Lord gives Job a name. And what is it? It is my servant, right? My servant, Job. My servant, Job. In fact, this is how Job was described in Job 1 verse 8, Job 2 verse 3. The Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant, Job? At the end of the book of Job, after this time of suffering, before all, uh, everyone knows, a life as Bill that Zophar knows, Job, this is my servant. My servant. Just like Moses, just like David, just like my servants, the prophets, just like the suffering servant, Jesus of Isaiah 53, this is Job. And the time has come for all the world to know it. For life as Bildad, Zophar to know it, Job is vindicated in their sight. They realize Job has spoken right of God. They're in the wrong. But this passage also speaks of Job's brothers and sisters, all who'd known him before, all those whom Job has been describing throughout the book as those who, who turned away from him and his suffering, remember? And were ashamed of him 
persecuted him, laughed at him, slandered him. These all now come, the Bible says, and show him sympathy and comfort, giving him money and gold, restoring him to wealth. And the Lord, the Bible says himself, gives to Job twice as much as he had before. The Lord, the Bible says, restores the fortunes of Job. This is good news. There is restoration for Job. There is vindication. There is the Lord here openly proclaiming that Job is right. Job is mine. I am not against him. I am for him. And instead of ridicule, Job receives sympathy. Instead of persecution and slander, Job receives comfort. Wrongs are made right when the lion roars. Wrongs are made right when the Lord comes. And when the Lord speaks, it is spring again. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Sympathy and comfort, we're told for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Famous Jewish rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book many years ago now entitled, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? A good Reformed Christian would answer, first of all, the Bible tells us there are no good people. Uh, so you don't need to write that book. There's no one righteous, no not one, no one does good, no one seeks God. But... We would also recognize that bad things do happen. And bad things happen to God's people, to the righteous, like Job. Not righteous in the sense of without sin, but righteous as the psalmist describes the righteous as those who belong to God, love God, know God, walk in God's ways. Yes, bad things, evil things happen, but for the Christian, our comfort is this that even the bad things, the worst things, the evil things. In fact, Romans 8 tells us all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, including the most wicked evil in all human history, the crucifixion of the blameless Lamb of God. Make no mistake, friends, at the end of the book of Job, all of Job's life, as is true for all of your life and my life, all of his trials, all of the suffering, all that happens is under the, the sovereign providential control of the good and holy and wise and righteous and loving God. And friends, Job knew this in his heart all along. You remember how the book started? Ten children die. And Job confessed, the Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. At the beginning of the book, when Job was struck with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and had to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes, he confessed to his wife, to his family, 
Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? Job knows God is sovereign and he's sovereign over all, including the work of Satan himself. Do you know that? Do you believe that? There are not two equally powerful forces in the United States or in the world, God and Satan, and we just hope that our team will win. That's what uh, many religions in the East believe. Yin, yang, good, evil. And uh, you never know what will win in the end, you see. So you just try to balance the good. And that's not what we believe. We believe that God is sovereign, even over evil, even over Satan. But because he is, you see, we can rest in that truth that comforts us uh, when we suffer. We know we're not in the, at the whim of Satan or something like that. We are under the sovereign hand of God who is working out his mysterious purposes for our good and for his glory. Things too wonderful for us to understand. He at times allows the evil one to afflict us. He permits storms to assail us. He sends, as Elizabeth Prentice wrote in that great hymn, More Love to Thee, O Christ, he sends sorrows, grief, and pain to do its, to do its work. What work is that? Well, she wrote it. More love to thee, O Christ. Or as James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Hopefully you know that. Having come through the book of Job, that God has been working all along in the life of Job. And says James, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, or as Job himself put it in chapter 23, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Yes, that's it, you see. That's it. As we'll hear from the Apostle Peter next Lord's Day. You know, no matter what happens to us, even though we might suffer grief right now, so that our faith, uh, more precious than gold, though it's tried by fire, will come out for the praise and glory and honor of God. Faith tested in the fire, more precious than gold, resulting in praise and glory and honor to the Lord. And Job's story, friends, does not end in suffering. It ends in restoration and glory and honor to the Lord. You know how? Millions upon millions, perhaps billions, read Job's story today and are drawn closer to God. (laughs) And one day, you will meet him and be able to tell him so. You know, Job, I sat through a whole year of sermons from this pastor and... uh, unsure if it was going to go anywhere, but um, I'm glad I toughed it out and glad I was there to see how the Lord used that suffering in your life. And for some, like Job, an experience of suffering we find in this life comes to an end and a taste of restoration is achieved here. For others, that suffering continues throughout life here But restoration is coming. And the good news, friends, is God's people are not left in their suffering. There is restoration. This is good news. All wrongs will be made right. But but that isn't even the best. You got to give me five more minutes. Because did you notice the end of the story goes like this? 
And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And so, yes, earthly wealth. He had twice as many sheep, twice as many camels, seven more sons, and three more daughters. And they were beautiful. He gave them names like Dove and Cinnamon and uh, what was that other word again? Oh, it was like a, uh, a very rare kind of eyeshadow. Karen Hupuk. Dove, cinnamon. Yeah, they were beautiful, the Bible says. These daughters that Job were given, they receive an inheritance. And Job dies, an old man, full of days. Saw his sons, his sons' sons, four generations in the Bible. That is a, a sign of supreme, uh, abundant blessing to see uh, your children's children. So this is, this is all an expression of the abundant blessing upon Job. And the Bible says his latter days were more blessed than his beginning. And the point is that this is true uh, for all God's people. The latter days are more blessed than the beginning. Perhaps not the latter days on this earth, as it was for Job. But even for Job, Job would always remember that there were ten children who died. We don't know what this suffering did to his relationship with his wife. And Job himself, himself, would yet die. And so though there's this abundant blessing, it is not the, the full blessing that is yet to come for the people of God. But our latter days, the days to come, will be more blessed than we could ever have imagined or hoped just as it was for Job. Don't forget all those passages where Job was saying, oh Lord, I, I think perhaps it would have been better if I had never been born. Lord, why have you allowed, why did you allow the womb to open and uh, allow me to see life? Oh, those were dark, despairing days. Job knew that he could never have imagined what lay in store for him, that as the Bible says, his latter days would be better <laughs> than before. Trials come in the book of Job suddenly, unexpectedly, with great intensity in our lives. They may endure a long time. Satan wants us to reject God when we suffer. Our friends may fail us when we suffer. They did for Job. We'll be tempted to sin in response to our suffering, questioning God's goodness, his justice, his wisdom, his holiness. And when we suffer, uh, it is easy for us, as it was for Job, to sin with our lips, to lose sight of the glory of God. But by God's grace, the Lord uh, revealed to Job, first through a faithful friend, Elihu, and then by his own word, reveals something of his glory and then we, like Job, are enabled to confess that we've spoken of things too wonderful. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. And he rejects all those words he'd spoken in response to his suffering, and he repented before the Lord, and he's humbled, he's broken in the dust. He submits himself in worship and adoration and wonder before his God. Could he have hoped for such an ending to the story? He had no eye. Not only restoration, but better than before. Not yet the best. Not yet the best. He would still die. But a taste of a better day coming. 
Friends, this is what the book of Revelation is all about. There is a better day coming. Yes, Job is given a foretaste of that better day in God's abundant goodness to him in this life, but it's often not so. For many, the restoration awaits the time to come, but that does not make it any less real and wondrous and gracious. You see, don't miss this. Uh, God didn't have to restore anything to Job. God didn't have to give him better than before. But in his grace, he does. Just as God didn't have to send Jesus, but he did. He didn't have to give his own son over to death, but he did. He didn't have to meet Paul on the road to Damascus, but he did. He didn't have to open Lydia's heart to receive the gospel message, but he did. He didn't have to send the good news to all the nations, but he did. He didn't have to grant you faith and repentance, but he did. He didn't have to open your eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but he did. And because he did, you know there is a better day coming. And until that day, you, like Job, persevere. You endure. Because the day will come. Elder Matt read it for us. Well, there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more pain. Every tear wiped away. He, uh, we are God. We are his sons and his daughters, you see. And all will be made right again. And so ends, so ends the book of Job. He dies an old man and full of days. And here, for at least me, uh, sadly, we must leave uh, the book of Job. But of course, uh, our book remains open. Because your story and my story is not yet finished. And God's work in us is not yet done. So what may the new day hold for us. Joy? Sorrow, maybe? Pain, maybe? We do not know. But this we do know. That as in the life of Job, so in our lives, he who is the sovereign, good, holy, and wise God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, and there is a better day coming. Friends, may we believe that truth. May we love that truth. May we go forth to live that truth and trust him even and perhaps especially in the dark. Amen. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign God you are good and holy and righteous and altogether true. And Lord, we have heard that truth throughout the book of Job again. And again, from Eliphaz, from Bildad, from Zophar, from Elihu, from Job himself, and from your own lips. Lord, there are things too wonderful, too deep for us to understand, but we may understand this. 
that whatever the good and sovereign and holy God brings into our life, you do it for your glory, for our good, that we would cling to you as Job clung to you by faith in the light and in the dark, in the good and in the evil, and all along knowing that it is not us, it is not our work, it is not our own righteousness that saves us, but we need a redeemer, we need a mediator, we need an arbiter, we need someone who will speak for us on our behalf. And we thank you that though Job could not see as we see, we see and we know that that mediator, that arbiter, that redeemer has come. And because of him, we, though we may suffer, know that we belong to you through faith in that mediator, in that Jesus, so that we might know that you who began that good work in us will carry it on to completion. And there is a better day coming. May we believe it. May we love it. May we live it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.